to conclude our Exploring God's Word uh, series that we've been doing. And um, I, I know, because as I teach it, and thank you, Brother uh, Perryman, for jumping in kind of last minute on the last one when uh, we had to be out of town. I appreciate uh, you being instant in season and out of season for that. And he took you, in last week's lesson, he took you to the pretty much, if you will, the end of uh, kind of the New Testament and the epistles. Um, tonight is not going to be very long, and I'm also not going to be very deep. And there's a reason for this. Um, I could spend hours teaching the subject that we get to tonight. But the, the thing about it is, for the average Bible study that you're going to be teaching, you don't A, have hours, and B, you don't need to get so deep on a Bible study that it kind of bogs them down. And so sometimes it's okay to hit some things just very simply, and that way it, 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 it gets them set up. And uh, So tonight, our, our lesson, we're going to talk to you a little bit about some of the end times. Now, next week's lesson is going to get into the book of Revelation, and it kind of all ties it together. But I would be the first to tell you, and uh, there, our church is blessed. We have ministers in our church. We have people who study the Word of God faithfully. We've got Bible study teachers. We're a blessed church. This is a, a, a the congregation at the Lighthouse is a very mature congregation when it comes to Bible knowledge and biblical understanding. And so um, I will tell you that when it comes to Bible prophecy, I don't have all the answers. And, and let me help you out. If anybody tells you they have all the answers when it comes to Bible prophecy, run as fast as you can the other way. Because no one knows. It's appointed unto man once to die. We know that. The Bible says that he's coming back. We know that. The Bible also says that no man knoweth the day nor the hour. We understand that. And so much like the prophetic uh, voices of old, not always is it laid out perfectly A, B, and C. For example, in the parables of Jesus, the, the parable of the sower, he, he talks about the four different uh, grounds that the seed falls on. And then he, he backs it up and he says, now let me tell you what that means. I really wish he'd have done that for some of the end time prophecy. That he would have just been real, you know, put some names to it, put some places to it. But instead there's some figurative language. And so you're going to find at the lighthouse and with your pastor, I don't get in depth in some of the items because, to be honest, I don't know. Is that fair enough? I made a promise to the Lord a long time ago that I was not going to preach my own uh, interpretations. I want to be very loud where the Bible is loud, and I want to be quiet sometimes when the Bible is quiet. Uh, so I'm not going to get in, in depth and everything, but I find it very interesting in the lesson scope that we're going to learn tonight, I find it very interesting teaching it in the weeks and months that we are in right now. Uh, the Bible has a lot of prophetic uh, events, if you will, that was in there. And when you read the, the Bible, you find this, there is a, a common uh, story that goes in, and that is that God designed it for that, that, that humanity, let's go back to the Garden of Eden, God designed it, designed it for humanity to be in a relationship with Him. Of course, we know Adam and Eve sinned, 
and, and that relationship was severed. And from that point until Jesus comes back, we are, we are on a journey, if you will, of getting back and drawing closer to him and getting back to that place where he can bring us home. We know that. Um, later on in the book of Genesis with the calling of Abraham, you had the calling of what we call God's chosen people. That God looked at the families on earth and he began to focus on one family, the family of Abraham. And you begin to find this. We call them Jews. And so we hear that. Uh, in the Old Testament, uh, when the Jews they, the, and the Hebrews and the Israelites, those are all kind of words that, that can, can overlap. You find that, that every time that they, would, they, would, they just kept sinning, God would bring them into captivity. You had it all the way back in the book of Judges, many, many times. Had it, had it with the Egyptians, but in the book of Judges, there's many times that the tribes that they should have conquered and didn't came back to harass them and bring them into bondage. You have the, the exile of Babylon. You have the exile of Assyria and all of that. Um, but in the, the Bible, there is a foretelling in the Old Testament, and Jesus did as well. There's a foretelling of the destruction of Jerusalem. Jerusalem was destroyed in the Old Testament, and in the New Testament, it was going to be destroyed again. Uh, in, in Luke chapter 19, Jesus tells of that coming destruction, and this is what he says. For the days shall come upon thee, that thine enemies shall cast a trench around thee, and compass thee around, and will keep thee on every side, and lay even with the ground, and thy children within thee, and they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another, because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. Jesus, the uh, book of John says it perfectly. He came to his own, and his own received him not. He came as light. He came to illuminate the law. He came to show exactly everything they had been praying for and reading about was going to come to pass, but they became blind to the Messiah. And because of that, there was going to be a time, a day will come, when the enemies of God's chosen people would come and they would destroy Jerusalem. Jerusalem is a pivotal part of Jewish activity. It's the center. It's the center of their religion because the temple is there. It's the, it's the, the center or the, the, their lives revolved around the Jewish culture there in Jerusalem. It has uh, been the center of commerce for many centuries. It was an incredible place. In that portion of the world, which was uh, as humanity spread spread out from uh, the Garden of Eden and beyond, that area of the world, all of the trade routes from the north to the south, the east, the west, all of those trade routes converged on that city. You have a portion of scripture where Jesus most likely was on the road between Bethany and Jerusalem. He reaches a point uh, there most likely on the Mount of Olives where he could overlook the city called Jerusalem. And there it would have been a beautiful city. The temple, Herod's temple and all of its grandeur sitting there on top of the mountain. He could see where the city covered the hills, the mountains. It stretched down to Kidron and the Hinnon valleys. The Bible says he stopped and he wept. And this is what he cried. He said, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Thou that killest the prophets and stoneth them which are sent unto thee, how oft 
Would I have gathered thy children together even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings? But you would not. So behold, your house is left unto you desolate. And so all of these prophecies that Jesus is coming come to a head around 70 A.D. when General Titus and the Roman army comes and lays siege uh, to the city of Jerusalem. That there were, it was kind of this, the surrounding area had slowly been swallowed up by the encroaching uh, Roman Empire and now Jerusalem would feel that, that, that army coming. They were destroyed for, first and foremost. They were destroyed because of God's judgment for their sin. But also because the Romans had gotten to a place where they were starting to stamp out religion and so they wanted to stamp out the Jewish religion and they wanted to destroy the Jewish nation. The destruction of Jerusalem was catastrophic. Uh, Josephus, which was a, a uh, ancient historian who, who probably pins one of the most clearest pictures of Jewish life, says that some of the stones in the walls of Jerusalem were 94 feet long, 10 and a half feet tall, and 13 feet in thickness. And when Jesus said there would not be left one stone upon another, uh, he meant that. And those stones, it, Jerusalem was laid flat. It was total and it was complete. I was reading in, in my Bible uh, when in the book of John when Jesus was trying to talk to the Pharisees and the Sadducees and they, they said, uh, he, he said, you're in bondage and they, they said, we have never been in bondage in our life. Anybody know that portion of scripture I'm talking about? We've never been in bondage. And in my, in my Bible, I just kind of write, and, and it's, you know, acronyms for the texting. I just write LOL, laugh out loud. Because it is absolutely insane that they would say, I've never been in bondage. When they were under Roman rule at that time, when you go back, Jews and Jerusalem and, and those people have been in a constant fight for their life. And meant most of it is because of their sin. When... Jerusalem was destroyed in 70 AD. It wasn't easily repaired. They came back. You can look through uh, different historical events, and I don't have time to go into it, but, but for, for, for decades and for centuries, Jerusalem never reached the pinnacle that it had been. During the Crusades, the, the Arabs and the Jews and the Christians fought over it. It was a desolate place. But the Bible states over and over again that there would be a moment in which the Jews would return and rebuild what is destroyed. Isaiah prophesied it this way. Fear not, for I am with thee. I will bring thy seed from the east and gather thee from the west. And I will say to the north, give up. And I will say to the south, keep not back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Jeremiah wrote this. He said, he that scattereth Israel will gather him. Isaiah said again, and he shall set an ensign for the nations and shall assemble the outcasts of Israel and gather together the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. Again in Jeremiah it writes, I will gather you from all nations and from all the places whither I have driven you, saith the Lord. And I will bring you again into the place which I caused you to be carried away captive. These are not just prophetic things that came true when they returned from Babylon or when they returned from Assyria but God had a farther reach in mind the modern day nation that we call Israel 
is a result of a massive return of Jews from Palestine. It's one of the miracles of the 20th century. In fact, today I spent time just kind of reacquainting uh, myself with some of the things. It was a fast reacquainting, but uh, just remembering it. You'd have to go back to May the 15th, 1948, when Israel became a nation. It's amazing when you look at Israel. It's amazing what has happened. I know Sister Peters has come back from Israel a few weeks ago. Others have gone there. Uh, I had a, a professor at Bible school that, that had went there. And he told me that if you go to the, uh, uh, the airports there in Israel, you will find on some of the runways, you'll find a, a jet that's engines are on and ready. Because Israel has constantly been in a fight for its survival. And so there are, are jets, uh, fighter jets, that are always on. They, they'll cycle them out, but they're always running. So that at a moment's notice, a pilot can jump in and go and try to protect the borders of Israel. Israel is not a very big border. A jet can be anywhere in Israel in probably less than about three minutes, I think they said. Three to five minutes, it's there, and they can fight. In 19, or in, Rather, in 1882... There were some 24,000 Jews in that Palestine area. In 1914, there were some 85,000. When Israel declared a nation in 1948, there were 650 Jews. But today, there are millions and millions of Jews that came from all the corners of the earth to return to their homeland. The reason I said it's very interesting as you look at what's happening today is because Jerusalem plays a prominent role in Bible history. The, the very fact that President Trump and the United States has now decided to recognize Jerusalem as the capital of Israel plays into that. I don't know how it's all going to work out. I was reading the news and looking at some other things and watching the nations that were against that and then watching the nations that are doing the exact same thing. Sweden and Norway and uh, some of the African nations are, are doing the same. And Jerusalem now is returning to a place of prominence. But the history of humanity records that nations rise and fall. I want to take you back. If you have your Bibles, it would be good for you to turn there. I want to take you back to Nebuchadnezzar's dream in Daniel chapter 2 and verse 31. We live right now in the times of the Gentiles, if you will. And... Uh, I, I, we looked at this a little bit, and it's been a month or two ago uh, in our study, but I think it would be good to go back and see what Daniel said concerning the times of the Gentiles. It has to do with the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had. And uh, starting in verse 31, let's look, Daniel chapter 2 and verse 31. Uh, thou king, you saw and beheld a great image. This great image whose brightness was excellent stood before thee and the form thereof was terrible. The image's head, this is a statue if you will, the head of the statue was of fine gold. His breast and his arms were of silver. His belly and his thighs were of brass. His legs of iron and his feet part iron and part clay. And you saw until a stone was cut out without hands that smote the image upon the feet that were made of iron and clay and break them into pieces. 
And then the iron and the clay and the brass and the silver and the gold broke into pieces together and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away that no place was found for them. And the stone that smote the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This is the dream, and I'll tell you the interpretation thereof. This, uh, all the way back in Daniel's time, this prophecy is very apt today. Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, during the fall and the captivity of Israel, he had uh, been there. And one night he had a dream. This dream is what we just read. This dream, this uh, metal man or this statue, head of gold, the chest and arms of silver, belly and thighs of brass, legs of iron, feet of iron and clay. And as he dreamed, a stone, if you will, rolled out of the mountain and hit the feet and it, it broke them into pieces, but not only that, the entire image was destroyed and almost became like dust that the wind could blow away. And Daniel began to interpret that dream. The head of gold was that Babylonian empire that ruled the Jews in the Middle East. It was the kingdom that lasted from 606 B.C. to 538 B.C., The city of Babylon was at the peak of influence during its time. One of the seven wonders of the world was the Babylonian hanging gardens. It was 14 square miles, the city of Babylon. And and they have done research and archaeological digs that tell us that the walls were 350 feet high, 87 feet thick. Some archaeologists have told us that there was over a million people that lived in that city. And you can imagine during that time, how in the world would that great kingdom ever fall? But it did. Because in 538 B.C., Babylon fell to the Medes and the Persian. Darius was the king, and they became dominant. And and it ruled, and it lasted till 330 B.C. That was the breast and the arms of silver. After that, another kingdom rose, the kingdom of Alexander the Great. And with that, the conquest, the Persian Empire. And he began to establish an empire that stretched across the known world. There, the belly, the thighs of brass. After Alexander the Great came the Roman Empire that you read all throughout the New Testament. That Roman Empire lasted for centuries and later on it was divided. Then you come to the feet of iron and clay. Most would tell you that the feet of iron and clay is an is a, is a empire that has not yet happened. It will be a, a, a world power, if you will, in that same territory, that same area that will come in the last days. It will be in that empire, the feet of iron and clay, that the Antichrist will begin to rule and will lead us to the Great Tribulation, will lead us to the Battle of Armageddon. But the the point that you have to see on this is very simple. That nothing that comes by man can stand. There's a Bible verse that tells you about the time you think all is safe and all is calm and all is well. Death and sudden destruction is going to come. That stone that comes is Jesus Christ. And that can't be destroyed. The kingdom that has no end. At the end of our, 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 our uh, rather, I think it was the third lesson. At the end of the third lesson, we talked about uh, Matthew, and it says, in the, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall the coming of the Son of God be. 
See, I've lived this for 38 years. I was raised in the church. We had pews when, in, in the first church that I remember uh, I was, was the Quincy Church, and they had these wooden pews, and I could sleep under those wooden pews and count the gum that people stuck under the pews. I could look up and count the ceiling tiles. They're probably asbestos tiles, but I could count the, the little squiggly lines in those tiles. I was raising this. I've heard it all my life. He's coming soon. My dad's heard it all of his life. My grandparents have heard it all of their life. And Jesus said it when he was on earth. The end is coming soon. There are some, go read some of the epistles, there are some that would laugh and scoff and say, you know what, it's been some 2,000 years since Jesus was here and nothing's happened. In fact, the world's kept going and in their estimation, the world is better. We have cars, we have airplanes, we have Wi-Fi, we have cell phones, we have social media. We, we, we don't have to you know, scrape for our food and work for our food quite as hard as we used to. You would think everything's going good, but he, he, the, 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 the word came back said, don't listen to those that say, well, the world's continuing, it must not be. Because it's coming soon. When Jesus had predicted the fall of Jerusalem in Matthew chapter 24, the disciples came while they were sitting on the Mount of Olives and they asked him, they said, we heard what you said, now tell us what will this be? How are we going to know when it's all going to happen? And there were several things that Jesus said, and I want to show you what it is. But before he gave what's going to happen, he made this statement, take heed that no man deceive you. Oh, many will come in my name saying I'm the Christ and shall deceive many. People have asked and, and, and if, you, if you walk around, if you do any type of Bible study or at least talk to people about God, one of the things you're going to hear is this, why are there so many religions in the world? Why are there so many Christian churches? Why are there so many different denominations we have hundreds of religions today in this world, probably thousands. Eastern religions, denominations, radio and television voices. We have little country churches all the way to incredible cathedrals. And if you don't have the knowledge of the Word of God, it is so easy to be led astray. That's why I'm going to just tell you, as I have said for the last 10 years, let me say it one more time, I'm going to preach this and this only. And I want you to bring your Bible to church. And I want you to go home and I want you to read what I preached. And I want you to make sure your preacher and your pastor is preaching the word of God. Because this is the only thing that matters. It's not my opinion. It's not what I think. It's what does the word of God say. Take heed that no man deceive you. Jesus said this way, the truth shall set you free. But he said, well, here's how you're going to know that he's coming back. Wars and rumors of wars. Nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There's been wars ever since man's been on this earth. But we've never lived in a day or time in which war becomes simply a fact of life more than a declaration. See, I, we, we like to think of wars as... World War One or World War II, these great global conflicts. 
But I want you to just think about right now, every time you turn on the news or you read a newspaper or you get on the news sites and you look at them, think of how many wars and rumors of wars are being fought on all different sides. Just this week, I think it was this week, I I think it's literally been uh, since Monday or Tuesday, Russia and Syria traded blows again. Just this month, we've had sable rattling with the United Nations, with America, with North Korea. You have things that are happening in Lebanon and bomb or, or uh, rockets that are continually being thrown into Jerusalem in that area. He's coming. He said, not only that, but famines and pestilence. I, I don't I don't follow the global warming that, that we uh, hear about and all of that, but I'm going to tell you this, the more people that is birthed on this planet, the more food it takes. When we have these extreme weather situations, we've had record dry spells, we've had record rainfalls, we've had floods that have ravaged dry lands, we've had droughts that come to places that's never had a drought, famines and diseases and epidemics. It's because he's coming. Earthquakes in diverse places. Now, I, I could tell you a whole lot of reasons why. But see, Jesus was very specific that he said, you're going to hear about these things. If an earthquake would have happened in Siberia, you know, in 200 A.D., the world would have never heard about it. If in the 1600s an earthquake would have happened in Papua New Guinea, in reality, the world would never have heard about it. But today, with the advent of, of the, how fast uh, news can get around and the World Wide Web, they can have an earthquake, and before the earth stops shaking, the world knows about it. We're living in a place in which the prophetic things that God has put in place are finding a way that we can know. Earthquakes in diverse places. Eating and drinking people that are preoccupied with just simply satisfying their physical needs and desires, marrying and giving in marriage. All of those, those, those last two signs are simply just showing us that people are going to keep living their life being oblivious to what has happened. Paul said this to Timothy. He said, I want you to be aware. Be careful of those perilous days. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, Without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, meaning they can't restrain their physical appetites. They're fierce, despisers of them that are good, traitors. They are heady, they're high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. And Paul said it very simply, uh, turn, from such, turn away. We're living in the last days. But more than anything, I, I remember as a kid, when, whenever a pre- preacher would start preaching about the end time, I would get so scared, I'd get so, so just, what, what's going to happen? I didn't like it when people started preaching uh, about it, I, I didn't like that. But the older and the longer I live, the more I understand this. When we preach about the last days, it ought not bring fear to those that are saved. It ought not bring trepidation to those that have walked with him. 
Paul said to the church in Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, he said, there's a great hope ahead for the bride of Christ. This is what he said, for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. With the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. And we that are alive and remain shall be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. He's coming soon. I've told this story before. It's probably been a while. But my mom and dad and, and when, when, Zane, or when Brad and I, uh, we were in school, my mom had kind of made it her, her point to always be there when we were when we were off the bus at school especially you know till maybe a high school area or time but I'd get off the bus and I would know that mom would be home and she'd be making making dinner and all that I got off the bus one day I didn't have a key to the house this was before most people had electric garage door openers and especially the ones that you could push the button on the outside and I got home and I went to the door and it was locked and couldn't get in and that had happened a few times and usually a minute or so and mom would come pulling up but it didn't happen mom didn't show up I was a little scaredy cat as a kid and so I crawled in the back of my dad's truck uh, in the bed of the truck and I just laid there so no one could see me I was so scared that something happened finally I, I got out and I went to a neighbor's house and I, I knew the phone number to, to headquarters and I called headquarters and nobody answered those of you that may not know, that's the headquarters for United Pentecostal Church. In my boyhood understanding, I assumed that if no one answered at headquarters, that meant the rapture took place. Nobody answered the phone. I called, I didn't know a lot of numbers. I called every number I could. I No one answered, and I just knew I had missed the rapture. I went back, crawled in the back of that truck, and I just cried. I didn't know what to do. And finally, Mom came home, and I felt so good. <laughs> but that's not how we ought to live our life. The Bible says in verse 13, and, and we, we, we talked about this uh, Monday night, Sister Buford and I and uh, Brother Cecil Boswell, who's the pastor there in Pacific at the Lighthouse, uh, and that's where Sister Darlene Ingram was a member of he had come up and we're sitting around there Sister Tracy's house and begin to say that to be absent from this body is to be present with him because we have a hope if someone passes away walking with God we ought not I mean yes we grieve and we miss their company but I don't begrudge them the fact that they're home because the Bible says that because Jesus rose again, you and I will rise again in the rapture. Someday, and, and, and I now understand it. As I say, the longer I live, I understand it. Why my, my spirit just begins to jump within me when they start singing songs like I can only imagine. Or when they start singing the old hymns of some glad morning we shall see Jesus in the air or, or some glad morning uh, or, or I'll fly away or all of those. It's because I know there's going to be a time in which the Lord himself shall descend from heaven and there will be a heavenly shout with the voice of the archangel. The trump of God shall sound. Those that are dead shall rise first and then we're going to be caught up with him to meet the Lord in the air. Never to be parted again. No more tears there, no more pain there, 
No more sorrow there. No more crying there. No more hurt there. No more sin there. And verse 18 says, comfort one another with these words. Jesus had said in Matthew chapter 24, he had warned of the danger of not being ready for his coming. I read something, uh, I think it was yesterday. They said that nowadays, if we're going to teach the story of the ten virgins, you know, the ones that, five of them that brought extra oil and the five that did not, and they were waiting for the time that the bridegroom would come out, said we ought to teach it this way, that uh, somebody, you know, they were all out there and they had their cell phones. And the smart ones brought one of those power banks for their phones. And the other ones did not. And when the bridegroom came, those, they looked at their phones and they were dead. And they began to ask the others, can I use your power bank and your portable charger so I can charge my phone? And they said, no, because my phone's at 11% too. I said, hmm, I might have to start teaching it that way. But the point is this, be ready. Be ready. Just as the, the, the story of the exodus out of Egypt when the Lord had promised, Moses had said that there's going to be a time tonight that God is going to walk through the land and he's going to take the firstborn, those that aren't covered, those that are not within, those are, that, that are not behind the blood that was shed on the doors or, or spread on the doors. He said there's going to be a time when the angel's going to come and gather those that are not covered home. And, and I've, I have this visible image in my mind about this. I'm, I'm convinced that there were some dads or heads of the household that just didn't go out and put the blood on the doorpost. They just weren't ready. No real reason. Just got caught up in cooking the lamb, got caught up in doing other things, and they weren't ready. And the death angel came and the firstborn died. I'm convinced that there were some that thought, I'll just go out and keep playing, I'll do whatever I want to do, and when I hear the deaf angel coming, I'll run as fast as I can, and I'll beat the deaf angel back to the door. And in my own vivid imagination, I see some that passed away right at the edge of the door. Because God's not going to give you a big warning and say, ready or not, here I come. I'm going to count to 10, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, and you can make it in. The key is be ready. For the grace of God, Titus Titus chapter 2, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts we should live soberly, righteously and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Let me help you out. I don't know, because next week we we may just kind of touch on this. I don't know if God is going to come back before the tribulation, during the tribulation, or at the end of the tribulation. And if you want to believe one way or the other, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with opinions on that. I don't know. But what I do know is if I'm ready, whenever he decides to come back, it'll be okay. Because chances are we may never even get to know that because God may push our ticket and call us home tonight. You could get out, walk in, get in your car, and it could be the time that your life ends. question is, 
are you ready? Because he is coming. Rest assured, he is coming. Every prophetic thing that, 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 that its time has has come to pass. The Bible says there's not fa failed one word of all that he has prophesied. So I want to ask you this question today. It's the question when you're sitting across the table from someone teaching this. Are you ready? How do I know I'm ready? Very simple. Jesus said, except a man be born of the water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. When the disciples were, were on that upper room and they came out and Peter began to preach, and I know they said, men and brethren, what should we do? But if you will, they were saying, what do we need to do to be ready? Peter said, repent, be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Be ready. I wonder if we could stand right now. I know my audience tonight. I know each and every one that's here. And so I'm going to assume because I'd like to think the saints of God on a Wednesday night are ready. I'm going to assume that I'm preaching to the choir a little bit. But let me just remind you, are you ready? Because every time I get on the news, every time I look at that, I start seeing things fall into place. I start seeing things that, that you know, you, you always have to ask this question, how do you get somewhere? What has to happen for you to end up here? What we're seeing in the Bible, we're seeing the end of something. When you start reading the book of Revelation, you're seeing the outcome of something. And the question is, how do we get there? What has to take place to bring someone like the Antichrist to power? What has to happen? Well, you're seeing it play out every day in the social and the political realms right now. If you read your newspaper, if you listen to the news, you're seeing it play out. I don't know when it's all going to come to pass, but Brandon Buford just has to be ready. I can't wait for something to take place. I have to make my calling and my election sure now. Would you close your eyes and would you just talk to